Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 20 of the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. 2020 has been quite the year with the global pandemic, racial injustice, natural disaster, so much disruption and change. But there's also innovation and acceleration of new ways of doing things, and we're going to hear more about that today. So now on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Megan Coder. Meg and I are going to be discussing many things, including her expat adventures in Paris, her passion for digital therapeutics. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Megan, and then also let her tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. So Megan Coder is the Executive Director of the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, DTA, an international nonprofit trade association of industry leaders and stakeholders dedicated to improving clinical and health outcomes through the use of high quality, evidence-based digital therapeutics. Trained as a pharmacist, Megan graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and completed an executive residency in association management and leadership. That's where we first met with the American Pharmacists Association Foundation in Washington, DC. Prior to DTA, Megan worked at many organizations, including Iodine, the Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, and the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board. Well, Megan, thank you for being here with me today. Before we get into your career experiences, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and your University of Wisconsin-Madison experience. Well, thanks, Melissa. I love that this is the 20th podcast hosted in 2020, which is either the most perfect omen or the worst (laughs) possible time. So we will have a good time discussing today. Um, In terms of your question, I'm really just glad to be a part of this. And my background, obviously growing up in Wisconsin was really a great experience. And ironically, I knew that I was going to be a pharmacist since middle school. So that has always been my trajectory. That said, I actually did not get into pharmacy school the first time that I applied. And really looking back, I'm really grateful that I didn't really start until that following year. Otherwise, I never would have had the chance to do an internship with the World Health Organization or be accepted to the APHA residency or be hired by PTCB and meet you. So while I definitely didn't appreciate that timing in that first year when I didn't get in, um, I've really been thankful ever since. I love that. That is so cool, I think, to hear that Sometimes when one door closes or what you see is your path not moving forward, it just opens a new experience to you in a way that you wouldn't have thought about before. Most definitely. I didn't really anticipate any of how this was all going to play out, but it's really been fantastic to see all these ups and downs in the midst of it, meeting all these incredible people, experiencing so much and really learning the value that can be provided as you start to go through life in this profession. So it's been a true joy. Great, great. Well, here in 2020, it's an unusual year. And you talked about that with the 2020 and this being our 20th episode. And I think it's a year filled with change and transition. So as we've navigated this year, tell us a little bit more about what are some of the things that motivate you every day and who are some of your inspirations? It turns out that I'm incredibly mission-oriented. 
Um, I've therefore found that really regardless of where I'm working, be it from home now or formerly on the road, I really do continue to be driven to make a meaningful difference through whatever I'm doing. And now, given that 2020 has highlighted so many disparities really in how patients receive healthcare, whether it's based upon patient age, language, culture, income, disease state, or even geography, this has all really provided me with even more motivation to keep moving forward. And that said, while I really love what I do, I never would have had this opportunity without experiences earlier in my career that really pushed and challenged me and expanded my horizons. So as you mentioned earlier, I did a residency with APHA, and I really came through that experience to understand the overall landscape of the pharmacy industry. Uh, people like Bill Ellis, Tom Menigan, Brian Lawson were all fantastic mentors. And then when I moved into my role with PTCB, under your leadership, Melissa, I really came to understand the world in a completely new way. And I often laugh because while I really do appreciate all the time that you spent directly mentoring me, much of what I draw on today in my current role was really learned from our daily interactions and working side by side. Oh, thank you for sharing that. You know, it's funny. I think sometimes people get intimidated when they think about mentoring or developing people and what that looks like. And, you know, when you shared the day to day, that's really what it's all about, don't you think? Like, I mean, yes, you can sit down and we could discuss a case study or, or whatever, or, but I think it's rolling up your sleeves, working on something together, and then seeing like, how would that person handle it? Or how did they navigate that tough conversation? I think that's been a good way that I've always learned from my mentors. Yeah, I agree. I think even as basic as whenever I now send out a press release or engage with the media, I always go back to what our interactions were. And while I don't recall you necessarily sitting me down saying, this is exactly what you need to learn one day, uh, I didn't know I actually needed to learn that. But I picked up things along the way that I didn't expect. And now, now that I'm doing things that I wouldn't have otherwise received training for, those are those experiences where I have to think back and be like, wait, I've been here before. How do I do this? And really try to recall what was learned, how we did it, what needs to be done to really make sure that it really is in a way that is fitting for the conversation, fitting for the situation. Um, and that has been a really great lesson for me, even in my own work today. I, I love that. And, you know, one of the things that I really admire about you and I think has been like a common thread through your career is your focus on learning and your focus on growth mindset. Like you were always interested in the why and like the how that we do it. And boy, navigating the media is tough because oftentimes, as you and I know, the soundbite that they want to put out there is something that's engaging and at times can be controversial. And so thinking through about what's your mission and your vision for whatever you're working on, or even if, you, if you're dealing with a really tough situation when things didn't go so well, how do you best explain that in a way that, you know, what is the problem we're trying to solve and what's the solution? So I think your, your inputs or insights on that are really, really interesting. So, you know, another big thing about 2020 is that technology has exploded. You know, it's a way that we're connecting. It's a way that we're communicating. It's a way that things are getting done in our country and in our world in ways that they've never happened before. And we're especially seeing that in healthcare. And we're seeing, you know, technology and healthcare converging with innovation and it's transforming patient care. And I know that you've been in this space for some time. So talk to me a little bit more about launching Digital Therapeutics Alliance, like what is it, but also like the broader digital health space, because it just seems so big right now. It is. I think that's a great assessment of it. So 
Within the digital health landscape, there are a wide variety of products out there. And I think it's really important for patients and clinicians to get a better sense of what they're using. Um, I used this example uh, recently when talking with the FDA, but I think most people now understand that every pill that comes in the color blue does not do the same thing. Same, not every digital product that happens to be found in a digital format does the same thing also. So the notion that you could have a product that is meant for an adherence purpose, so helping remind patients to take their medication every day at 3 p.m. versus something that will track their adherence and help give them insights into it versus a product that's on the diagnostic side or a telehealth platform. Whatever the case is, there's this wide range of technologies that are available to patients. And I think it's important for clinicians to get a sense of what is what and what is the actionable data that may come from it or what is just a nice thing to have that may help a patient feel well or better, um, but not necessarily impact their disease state. So all of that really led into this idea around, let's create a group of companies in this space that are really focused on products that are really using technology to deliver medical interventions to patients and are therefore making a medical claim. And that's where we, I really fit in in this is we came together three years ago, actually three years ago, basically today, um, to come and figure wow. out, I know, happy anniversary, DTA. Yeah. <laughs> we came together and looked at, let's define this space. So let's actually make a set definition of what a digital therapeutic is. And since the level of rigor is so important in terms of if I'm going to use software to actually help treat a patient or manage a disease directly, you have to make sure there are principles in place to really ensure the safety of the product and the robustness and the effectiveness and all of that. So that had been really our first year or two of work was let's just set the foundation for the industry. The following year was much more focused on let's start to talk about this and get this out and really help people understand what these are and how to engage with them. And then this year COVID happened and threw everything in a loop. And uh, it's been really interesting for us recognizing now that um, one of the things we're focused on is Medicare and Medicaid don't have a way to define these products and therefore they don't have a way to deliver them to patients. So only in patients on the private side right now of healthcare in terms of insurance have access to these, whereas on the public, they don't. So that's become a mission that we didn't even know we needed to have until this year when it really became evident that there was a disparity there. Wow. So I would think 2020, although lots of challenges, has also provided opportunities in this space. It has. It's been interesting to see um, looking at products and platforms like telehealth. Telehealth has been with us for at least 10 years. And I sadly laughed a bit when people were all of a sudden in March saying, oh my gosh, there's this technology and it works. And we're like, we know that, but welcome. <laughs> so it was good to have people understand that. But I think digital therapeutics, remote patient monitoring, clinical decision support, all of those are kind of in that same bandwagon of, we know that these have potential, we know they work and there's going to be value here, but it's how do we actually make this meaningful to an person, a clinician, a caregiver, a payer, wherever they're at, to help them understand how do these actually fit into their own healthcare paradigm as they're either treating or managing different conditions. So I think that's interesting about, you know, what it means and how you use it. And so if we look forward a little bit, what do you see, you know, eventually we will come out of the pandemic and it'll be a post-COVID world. Do you see some of these digital health, digital therapeutics continuing or kind of what's the trend or do you have a sense of that? I would say there's a definite yes on that one. We will be in a post-COVID world, but that doesn't mean that we'll be unchanged. 
So we will have, we collectively are experiencing a lot. We are learning a lot. We're going through a lot together. And in the process, we're recognizing that there's certain ways that things can either be done better or improved upon, or there's entirely new options that are available to us. So I think with this, the notion of what digital therapeutics provide, it's a way to really enable clinicians to care for patients every single day and in between visits and things of that nature. So it's really an extension of care as opposed to like a replacement of care. So all that to say, I think now we're starting to see formularies develop where we're starting to have groups like Express Scripts and CVS Health create digital health formularies with digital therapeutics included. We're starting to see this notion emerge in the healthcare industry of, should I start with a digital therapeutic and then go to drug? Or do I start drug, go to digital therapeutic? Like, what is that way of step therapy utilization management too? So this is definitely becoming integrated into therapy where it's a component of an overall therapy. And that I think is a really exciting perspective for patients to really start to embrace. I like that. I like that idea of an extension of care. I think that's very, very interesting. And, you know, we've definitely seen patients and their caregivers being much more involved in care versus just, you know, the doctor tells me this is what I have to do. How do you see the whole wearables? How does that play out? And like, will there be greater patient engagement with that? Like an Apple watch? Perfect. So similar to how I said, not all Blue pills are the same, not all digital products are the same, um, not all wearables are the same. So there's definitely different levels of clinical grade in those. There are some wearables that are meant for uh, just use in a wellness setting, and that is perfectly fine and well. There are other wearables that are meant for use in a clinical trial setting. Those products would have had to have gone under some form of regulatory oversight process, be submitted to clinical trials. And then there's also wearables more in that clinical grade care aspect. So clinicians will know that when they get data from those, that the data they're getting back is actionable and able to be implemented into their clinical care model. So there are, I think it's important as we were talking about digital therapeutics and all these other therapies to recognize even the wearable space that there's different tiers and how a clinician engages with those wearables and understands the data as like, a, well, that's great. That helps us in the next step. And then here's our next step versus this is our next step. And now I can actually take an action based upon this. I like that. I like you clarifying that too, because I think it just reinforces that it's a piece of the puzzle, not the whole puzzle. And I think for our consumers and our patients out there realizing that this is a really dynamic world and it's evolving and changing. And so to try to stay on top of it, and you know, we, you and I both know people who are early adopters. So if there's anything new that comes out you know, technology-wise, they're all in. But I think what you're saying is you need to look at it in the bigger context and how it extends or aligns with the bigger picture of your care and your care plan. Actually, I really like that, Melissa. I think that notion, that piece in the puzzle, no single puzzle piece is going to be able to give you the entire aspect of what that puzzle is going to be at the end of it. It has to go along with all these other pieces to give that final glorious, we finally solved the puzzle and here it all is laid out in like, across the board. So I really like that. And I think we could definitely build upon that as we go. That's great. That's great. Well, you and I will stay tuned on this one because I think it's going to continue to grow and evolve. But one thing about 2020, it has provided access for people, you know, for sure, the whole digital health world. And I think it's also caused people to think about trying things that maybe they wouldn't have in the, in the past. So, you know, I think that's, that's a cool thing too. Well, as we shift gears a little bit, you know, we talked about that you moved from the Midwest and that you came out to Washington, D.C. And I know that a big part of when you're in D.C. is connecting with others and visiting national organizations because they're all right there in either the 
DC, Virginia, Maryland area. So one of your meetings, it's my understanding that you had was especially significant early in your career that you went to the FDA and you spent some, the Food and Drug Administration and you spent some time with Susan Winkler. So tell me a little bit more about that. And Susan was on our podcast, Melissa Rx Scripts, episode two. That's great from two to 20. Yeah. That's a good jump there. So what I love and miss, I think almost most about being a student is that you have the opportunity, as you mentioned, to walk into any setting in any industry, ask questions and learn as much as you can. I loved and cherished those days. Um, and now once I've moved beyond that phase, it's really hard for me to keep doing that. So when I was a student, I was here in DC on a rotation with a local NGO. And I was given the opportunity, as you mentioned, to meet with Susan Winkler, um, who was serving as the chief of staff of the FDA. I think one of the greatest upsides of the meeting is that I was able to see someone who really charted their own path and that alone gave me the confidence to, to really chart my own unique path in my career. Downside the meeting, Susan was so supportive that I ended up actually registering to take the LSAT and I did an atrocious job and I'm never meant to be a lawyer. <laughs> uh, looking back though, I think I may have tried to actually emulate her unique path a bit too closely and it took me a little while to actually find my own path. Needless to say, I'll be brutally honest in this, um, even 10 years later, after having met Susan, I still love to see how she leads. Every time I engage with her, it's always a lesson in grace, elocution, and wit. And it's really been great to see someone who I admired when I was a student and really continue to grow with and really understand a lot more of what she's done in the industry and how she's really led in a way that has been unique and respect her uniqueness while still developing my own too. I love that. Well, you know, Susan and I have been good friends for many years. We lived together in our 20s out in D.C. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Um, Susan and Jan and I had a townhouse together in Arlington, Virginia. But I think you're, you're spot on in what you can learn from people and emulate. And I think her career path and the supportive partner that she has in John and, you know, the work that she's done at uh, the FDA and now she's leading the Reagan Udall FDA Foundation is just really interesting. I also appreciate and thank you for sharing, you know, that you went down a path pursuing law school or at least, you know, starting that process through taking, Ooh, yeah. you know, the LSAT. <laughs> and it didn't work out because I think that's so important. And, you know, we've talked on the podcast and the Melissa Rx Scripps podcast a couple of times with people. I think in today's world, especially in the last several years with social media, you know, you see these curated bits of, you know, someone's Twitter feed or their Facebook or Instagram or whatever they use. And, you know, you think, oh, it's all great. Everything's perfect. And things always seem on track. But what we've heard repeatedly from guests, and so again, I really appreciate your vulnerability and, you know, sharing your story is, I think it's as helpful to figure out like what you don't like or what doesn't work, or I'm sure you were like, well, that's a hard no after. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you can imagine if you would have moved into that and then realized, you know, in the middle of law school that it wasn't a fit or whatever. So I, I do think sharing those stories is important, but also thinking that whatever the road is, I was talking with someone that I mentor recently who's trying to figure out like sort of a next phase and something. And I told her that whatever happens is, is going to be fine. You know, like it might be different than you originally thought. So I think you have to, you know, adjust your expectations and especially in this COVID time right now, the world's, you know, as, as they said in Hamilton, been turned upside down. So whatever it is and however you navigate it, I think is going to turn out okay. But hearing stories from you, I know Susan Winkler has talked about sharing multiple opportunities and doing different things. You can just go down a path. I mean, probably if you and I would have talked, I mean, I think about some of the lunches we had before I moved from DC, 
I don't know that you could have envisioned leading an organization focused on digital therapeutics. That world didn't exist back then. I agree. I This actually gets to something I was going to bring up later, but I think it's really fair to say that I didn't take a linear approach to my career. Um, there have definitely been numerous bumps in the road along the way, uh, which is starting to make me think that my path is more of a mountain trail with switchbacks than a well-paved road. But I think all of that to say, I, I can confidently say like along each of those bumps, um, I've really learned a lesson. And in some cases, as we've talked about, it's really provided an unseen opportunity. So Growing up, I had a very clear vision of exactly what I was going to be doing with my life. And instead, the reality has really been so much more dynamic and beyond what I could have ever tried to imagine. Actually, I think you're, you're right on track. And, you know, climbing a mountain, I think, is especially appropriate right now. And to also realize that there's not one path. And so there's different paths. But I think what you've had in your career, and I've watched this, and again, it gets back to your growth mindset and interest in learning and stuff like that, is that you're okay creating your own path. And I, you know, I'm one of those people too, where I've done things that have definitely been different or taken outside or have been the first or the only. And when you do that, it's a little scary sometimes. And, you know, you try to think, okay, what do I look to or how do, you know, how does this go out? So I guess a question for that I have for you as you've kind of reflected on this is what role did, um, intuition play in all of this? And then can you talk to our listeners about kind of how you dusted yourself off? Because, you know, Lisa Gersima talked about how much she's learned. Um, she was an earlier guest on our podcast from when things didn't work out or when something failed. So, you know, what does that look like? And then how does that then lead you to new opportunities? So let's kind of unpack that a little bit more. I think that's a funny question only because when looking back at the example I just gave with Susan Winkler, I had really grown up in this idea that a pharmacist could either go into community or hospital, and those were your two options. Yep. And it, I had no issue with that, but those were the two options. So when I met Susan and she was doing policy, I'm like, well, what's policy? Oh, you need a law degree to do policy. I can do that. Nope. <laughs> so I realized law degree was not in the cards for that, but you don't need a law degree to do policy of some nature, whatever globally that means. So I almost hesitate to give examples from my own experience and say, now this is exactly how one should go about it because uh, it was a bumpy road to some degree, but along the way, I obviously was able to uh, work at APHA and learn that industry from that perspective. I worked with PTCB and I learned the ins and the outs of a certification organization and all that it means to really invest in the staff and the core team that you're working with, be it either internal or external to what PTCB is doing. From there then, I followed my husband on multiple occasions to different locations, once to San Francisco and once to Paris. Um, each time then he followed me back to DC. So Needless to say, when I've gone along these different paths, it's been an adventure where there hasn't always been a clear next step. And I've obviously tried to do a lot of different things. And I think it was Bill Ellis who talked a little bit around like, keep multiple irons in the fire or multiple lines in the lake to see what you catch. And I think when I lived in San Francisco, I submitted about 80 to 90 job applications. And finally, after I was like, I'm done with this. And then within a day after telling one of my colleagues from the pharmacy profession. She's like, oh, I know someone. And then I got a job the next day. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> and I think that harkens back too, to like having a network around you and really relying on people and being able to stay in touch and really build on each other's experiences is really valuable. And 
I don't know if I've ever gotten a job based upon a resume before. It's all been through experiences and starting to be like, hey, I have a connection. I think we could do something here. That's really turned into something that I, again, would never have imagined in the first place. Yeah, I think you really hit on something, the whole importance of connection and networking and staying in touch. And you also like never know where these are going to lead. You know, I think maintaining relationships and, you know, as Bill said, having multiple lines out there is so, so important. And also, you know, I appreciate that you described that your path was unique. And I think that's really important for our residents and for practitioners and for students to hear, especially if they're interested in doing something that's a little bit different, that it's okay and it should be different. And the steps that you took, they may not want to take, but what I think they can learn from you is, well, A, when you talk about the 80 applications, I mean, I think the, the pharmacy marketplace and healthcare has changed a lot. And so, you know, just for people to be aware of that, the, that it's a different environment and, you know, what that looks like and how do you have like the resilience and the grit to kind of navigate through that. But I do think maintaining connections and staying close to people, you know, makes such, such a difference. So thank you for sharing that. You touched on, as you were talking about that, your wonderful husband, Jeremiah, and, you know, you talked a little bit about following him and um, some of the career changes and, and that you've had. And, you know, I think you and I reflected on this, that during stay home time, it's different, you know, that you and I both have been on planes a lot and you know, this is the time where we have not been on planes, um, mm -hmm. which is which is which is very different. So international travel, you know, it's halted or it's shift, it's shifted. And I think it's interesting for people that have traveled and that we have, have had other speakers who have talked about, you know, their experiences in a global world and what that's like. So and you're one of the people I think that's unique that's actually lived in a foreign country for an extended period of time. So talk to me a little bit about your time living in Paris and you know, what are some of the memories that you have of your international travels? Goodness, I could take that one a lot of different directions. Um, in terms of, okay, so I've mentioned a lot in this podcast of like all these different things and lessons and failures and opportunities and things of that nature. But along the way, I think it really does harken back to this notion that it opens up doors I wouldn't have foreseen. So when I moved to Paris, I was able to work for a tech startup company there. Obviously, I did not know that the French keyboard, for example, is in a different order than the American keyboard. So that was a learning lesson and uh, not speaking the language well, given that Beauty and the Beast was my only uh, really introduction into the French language. So I could say bonjour and mademoiselle and baguette. And after that, it was kind of done. Um, so I, it took a while to really accommodate to what was going, I should say a custom to what was going on in the country. But as working as part of this tech startup, one of the, the CEO of the group actually had this vision of what can we do from an international landscape? And he was running this technology organization, doing a fantastic job of it yet. But he's like, I really want to start an international trade association. I was like, I can do that for you. And it took a little bit of convincing because I don't think he knew what a, a residency and association management meant at the time. Right. But it was fantastic because as a result of him finally putting faith in this opportunity, um, I was able to really, yes, work in Paris, but then travel to Japan on multiple occasions and really speak to different regulatory and decision makers there and travel throughout Europe and the United States and other aspects of North America to really start to understand like, what is this landscape that we're dealing with and how do we start to work with these international level organizations to create policies to actually make a meaningful shift here and to recognize a new category of medicine and really start to build uh, connections where connections hadn't existed before. 
So had I not been in Paris, I never would have been introduced to this notion of DTA and never would have been able to really take this and really create something that's never been there before. So that for me had been one of those lessons too of, oh, I don't want to leave what's comfortable. I don't want to leave home um, and go to a place that I don't know anything about aside from what I've learned from being the beast, which apparently is not always accurate. But that said, it was fantastic and challenging and um, has led into something that was again, beyond anything I could have ever imagined. Yeah, I think you really touched on just several cool things there about getting out of your comfort zone. And, you know, even if something is fantastic, it still can be scary. I'm sure when you guys, oh, yeah, you know, you know, we had, and, and I know when you were saying you were moving to Paris, everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's like, you know, the dream, the, the food, the art, the culture, and, you know, the proximity to the rest of Europe for travel and everything. But I think you also touched on it's it's different visiting someplace versus living there, like figuring out, you know, navigating the day to day. And also, you know, I think that's something that we're we're seeing this year in 2020 is that people went from, you know, having this world that was their day to day existence that was much more expansive to then having as people were working from home, you know, your home was your where you were working, where you hang out, where you, you know, have your kids and you know you may have a puppy or a cat but it's also your gym I mean it became like everything and so you know thinking about the expansion of your horizon and I think international travel does that or even you know what we're doing right now that we're we're kind of living in a whole different world and it's kind of when you reflect back on it you also I think figure out there's some funny things too like it's not funny necessarily when you're going through it when you can't figure out whether it be how, how you know how to order something or how to pay a bill or you know, I, I've, I've heard from others who have moved to other countries, some of the simple things like setting up accounts can be very challenging. And you just don't think about that when you're, you know, when you're visiting a country and you're just there shopping and, you know, having wonderful Italian food, it's different than when you move there for sure. Yeah. One example, I um, had asked one of our, the individuals who runs the building to go downstairs and get a key because my key no longer worked. And I used Google Translate for that. And Google Translate apparently conveyed to her that I wanted to push her down the stairs so she can get the key. She looked at me horrified. And I was like, what's wrong here? And I back translate. I was like, no, I'm not trying. Oh. But that is actually one other point though. I don't think I could have done it well without technology living in Europe. One of the things, uh, like if you get into a cab, I didn't have the words to say, turn left here, go there, please, oh, stop, wait, hold on. Um, so I just had to rely on Uber because Uber would put, I would put the address in and Uber would tell them what to do in their language. So I, A, have a respect for anyone who comes into the United States and not knowing English. I have, I had no idea how hard it would be, but B, looking at how technology enabled me to actually live in a place that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So I'm sure there's a corollary to healthcare there too, but it was definitely a learning curve and one I'm grateful to have had. Yeah, I think you touched on it though, like how technology can enhance and change our lives. And, you know, I, I still think about maps and, you know, the idea of when you had to have the paper map and my mom has always been like the navigator and, you know, so I think about car trips when we were little and my mom had the map full up. I also think about some international travel years ago when I was with my sister and we were over in Russia in St. Petersburg and we were with a Texan and he pulled out this big map and, you know, it was clear we were lost. It was clear we were American because we look so different. And the Russian language is so different. It's like reading higher grade. Oh, the characters. Yeah, the characters. So, so we couldn't figure anything out. And I thought, oh, if we couldn't, we look like such tourists. But, you know, now 
we could have pulled, if we were there today, we could have pulled out our smartphones and, you know, tried to figure out how to get back to the hotel mm -hmm. instead. I don't even know how we finally did it, but we, we did, we did, <laughs> we did make our way back, which was good. So we're, we're drawing to a close and this has just been such a fabulous time together this afternoon. I've so enjoyed catching up with you. A question that I ask my guests is, you know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? I think there is, and I think it fits in with what we've been discussing today. So by nature, when a rule is in place, I do my best to respect it, but I've been learning that not all rules have been written yet. And I think this is where the greatest opportunity is. So my prescription is take the time to differentiate what's an actual rule versus what is an expectation versus a space that's yet to be defined. Some examples that go into this, hearkening back to our conversation earlier, if Lin-Manuel Miranda assumed that all good Broadway plays had already been written, we would never would have had Hamilton. If technology companies assume that currently available therapies have the ability to meet all of our future healthcare needs, we never would have had digital therapeutics. And if we think that the pharmacy profession will never grow beyond what it is today, then we may be missing out on an incredible breakthrough to better enable patient care for the care that they deserve. So I think the moral of the story for me is sometimes you need to forge your own path. And I suggest bringing companions along for the ride when possible. Oh, I love that forge your own path and bring in companions. Well, I am grateful that you've been a companion with me along for my ride. I'm grateful that we worked together many years ago in DC, you know, and, and traveled together. Oh my gosh. I think about, I know which, I know you're going to think about which meeting I'm talking about, but you and I were in a, uh, in a hotel suite doing some major media work um, when I was president of oh, a national organization. Yes, yes. So, um, but we also I'm, had great times and so many other adventures. We, too. we did, we did. And also, you know, I'm grateful that the digital health world has brought us back together. That just a few short weeks ago, you and I were both speakers mm -hmm. um, on a meeting that the California Pharmacists Association convened. Our colleague, Risa Vatanka, helped pull together with this vision of digital health virtual 2020. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm just still reflecting on, there was just a story this week that Pharmacy Times ran about the session that Nancy and I worked on together. And That's it's great. really, yeah, getting some legs. I didn't even realize that they were covering it. And clearly they were in our session because they were quoting us. So I think the future is really bright and it's big related to, you know, where we are today. I'm happy that you and I we're able to talk today and I want to thank our listeners. This is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. I want to say thanks to my ACE producer, Kate Cruz with Executive Podcast Solution. And if you can subscribe to our show, Melissa Rx Scripts podcast and rate and review, that would be really appreciated. And thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Melissa. I love talking today.